Welcome to episode 124 of the Let's Talk Apple podcast. I'm your host, Bart Bouchotts, and this is the show for December 2023. Well, this is the show for December, but I'm recording it on the 3rd of January 2024, so I'm going to go ahead and wish you all a healthy, joy-filled, and prosperous 2024. It is a solo show this month, and uh, one of the things you're going to notice this year is going to be more of them, because... I used to apologize for them, but I've realized that actually I really quite enjoy them. So actually, I'm going to stop apologizing and I'm just going to lean in and uh, do more solo shows because I prefer them. Right, let us start off with some follow up to long running stories we have been tracking So we spent a fair bit of time in the November show going through some various awards and lists of best ofs of the year that Apple had released, but it turns out they weren't quite done when we recorded the last episode. Two more. We now have Wiser Than Me with Julia Louis-Dreyfus is Apple's podcast of the year. And Apple has highlighted their top app store apps and games. If you are interested in seeing what Apple considers to be the best, you will find the details in the show notes at lets-talk.ie. Um, looking at the top free apps, just a quick sampling. Um, Timu seems to be the, well, it's literally the biggest other than that. It's a lot of boring stuff in there, actually. Um, CapCut is an interesting one, a video editor, but other than that, it's mostly streaming apps, TikTok, Instagram, the usual stuff. Paid apps, Shadow Rocket, Hot Schedules, Procreate, Pocket, The Wonder Weeks, 75 Hard. Do you know what? I don't own a single one of these apps. Uh, iPhone games, uh, the top one is Monopoly Go. I bought, I say I bought that, I got that, but I actually haven't uh, played it yet. Um, Minecraft is top of the list for paid iPhone games and free iPad apps. Yeah, nothing too exciting there. Anyway, list is in the show notes. Um... We also are continuing to receive features we were promised way back in WWDC. And that has sort of become a thing where Apple tell us all the cool new shiny and then a whole bunch of it is for later in the year or for early in the next year. So in that same vein, Apple have released iOS and iPadOS 17.2, which brings most importantly the journal app, which was promised to us before. There's also two improvements to messages and music, uh, but really the journal app is the big new thing in iOS and iPadOS 17.2 and indeed in an update to the Mac as well. Uh, link in the show notes to a nice Culture Mac post uh, to help you get started, should you wish to, with journaling on your iPhone. Another one of the features that was promised at WWDC that we all very much were looking forward to, actually it may have been from the September keynote, either way, another feature we were promised that was very popular when it was announced was VPN support on Apple TV. Well, that is well and truly with us now with both ExpressVPN and NordVPN releasing Apple TV apps for their VPN services. So it is now easier than ever to browse Netflix in their own country, should you so desire. Also, we had a long, an issue for a couple of months now, um, where wireless charging in certain models of car was causing problems. A, a sort of a firmware interaction between the charging pads in the cars and the firmware inside some iPhones. 
and Apple promised that they would find a fix, and they have succeeded in so doing. As of iOS 17.2, you should no longer have problems charging your phone in your car if you had, I think it was BMW and a few other brands were affected. Um, And as well as getting us um, improvements we had been promised in advance, we are also getting some improvements that we weren't promised, sort of wrapped in with these updates. Um, We have 3D movies have come to tvOS 17.2, as well as a whole redesign of the the sort of the front page landing page with a much nicer navigation system. Um, I have certainly been preferring things with the new layout to the old layout. Uh, But obviously the 3D movies seems like preparation for the release of Vision OS and very much um, for the release of Vision OS is that the iPhone 15 Pro can now record spatial video, which you'll then be able to play back in full 3D glory when you have your Apple Vision Pro headset in a few weeks and months time. We've also talked a fair bit uh, in 2023 about Apple's self-service repair program, which has been slowly improving. Well, it has continued to do so in December. There is now a new online diagnostic tool which has been launched to help you figure out what DIY repair you may want to try. And if you have an iPhone 15 or an M2 based Mac, you can now have a go. So those two sets of devices have been added to the list where you can do self-service repairs. Another big story throughout much of 2024 has been a distinct uptick in Apple's interest in gaming. And that definitely continued in December. We had Sonic Dream Team races coming to the Apple Arcade. That is, you know, Sonic is a big deal. Unity 6 announced, well, sorry, the Unity version 6 of the Unity engine has been announced. So the Unity engine is a very popular framework for building high-end games. And Unity 6 has been announced. It will have a bunch of cool AI tools, but more interesting to us with our Apple hats on is that uh, Unity have partnered with both Apple and Meta to get the thing uh, virtual reality ready. So Vision Pro support is baked into Unity 6, which may prove to be a big deal as time goes on. Uh, Big games coming to Apple's platforms is definitely a thing Apple want, and they got some of that in December with Resident Evil 4 arriving for the iPhone 15 Pro, the iPad, and the Mac. And, you know, just to underline that Apple really are serious about this game thing, um, some of their Apple executives sat down for an in-depth interview um, where they talked a lot about how they really want gaming on the Mac and how they consider Apple Silicon to be, quote, transformative when it comes to Mac gaming. So... I've heard a lot of scepticism from people who are more involved in the gaming community. You know, it's like, well, okay, it's great for Apple to want this, but they have a very, very long journey to go. But, you know, the only way you can finish a long journey is to start it. And Apple are definitely doing more game-focused stuff in their latest OSs and so forth. So this may be the start of something. I sure hope so. Another background theme that's been bubbling away throughout 2023 has been Apple's work on AI, and in fairness, it's been bubbling around a lot longer than 2023. Um, Apple have become more open in what they do with AI, in part to attract talent, and I think in part just because it fits their view of these things. Um, And certainly a lot of activity in terms of Apple and AI this month. Um, So... 
Apple have released a new uh, open source piece of code to help you run machine learning frameworks, or sorry, machine learning models on Apple Silicon. Uh, it's called MLX, and it's a, as a machine learning framework specifically for running models on your M series Max. Apple also released a new research paper where they describe ways to get AI to run directly on the local device efficiently instead of hoofing it off to the cloud. And that is completely in keeping with Apple's approach to privacy plus AI or rather AI without privacy invasion. Um, So it's nice to see research being published. And Apple also released another open source learning model called Ferret. which actually, I forgot to make a note to myself exactly what Ferret does, but it is an open source machine learning model and they have released the details. And finally, Apple is apparently going around to major publishers in the world, offering them large amounts of money for the permission to train their AI on the archives of these media companies. So that's uh, an interesting way to sidestep all the, you know, is it is it not fair use arguments, um, you know, on Let's Talk Photography, I have made the argument that when it comes to hoovering up photographic works, it is a transformative work in my opinion, so it is not a copyright infringement. There's all sorts of other potential intellectual property issues, but I don't think, I actually think fair use, it is actually fair use to train a model on copyrighted material, and I don't see why my logic wouldn't apply to the written word, but that's an opinion and it's not an open and shut case and it definitely needs to go through the various court systems so one way to short circuit all that faffing about is just to pay for the stuff because then it's a moot point and so apple are apparently trying to negotiate such deals and of course the story of the decade so far it's not the story of the year it's not even the story of the last two years it's really it's the story of the decade Apple is continuing to try to diversify its supply chains and it is continuing to find that a challenging process. In India, Apple is a little bit cranky that their version of the EU's USB-C directive wants Apple to backport USB-C into existing iPhone models, not just switch future models to the new system, but to actually backport current models, and Apple are pushing back on that. Um, We talked last month about the fact that Apple had warned journalists in India that they had been targeted with um, spyware, Pegasus to be specific, from the NSO group, and, and... Apparently, that did not go over well within the Modi administration, and Apple is now getting quite a bit of backlash from the Indian government because they told the journalists. Now, Apple are not backing down, so that's interesting to watch that friction continue. Um, LuxShare is one of the up-and-coming vendors that Apple is doing more and more business with. Well, they have secured a big stake in Pegatron's iPhone factory, so that helps LuxShare solidify themselves as an Apple supplier. Um, And there is also reporting that Apple's iPad development team is being moved out of China and into Vietnam. And finally, Foxconn is investing another billion with a B dollars into an expansion into India. So that is, again, a lot of diversification going on there. Jumping us on to a regulatory rundown, the Digital Services Act, the DSA, is a major new piece of legislation that came into force in 2023 
And it would appear that the European Commission are getting busy implementing that. Um, They have sent Apple and Google formal requests for information on how exactly they deal with systematic risks within their app stores. And I have a feeling that this is a prelude to something a little bit more formal coming from the Commission. I, I think they are asking nicely and then they will probably ask less nicely. Meanwhile, we spoke recently about Apple having briefly gotten a case against it by one of the UK regulators thrown out on a technicality, and then that throwing out being overruled, and then Apple were going to appeal the appealing of their appeal, uh, and the regulator said, as soon as we're done with all of these appeals of appeals of appeals, we're going to go ahead and get stuck back into our probe of Apple. Well, we now know that the appeals of the appeals of the appeals, etc., are all finito, and the UK government is going to resume its probe into Apple Cloud Gaming in January 2024, so now-ish, basically. In terms of legal latest, um, a little bit of deja vu here. Um, Apple and Corellium have settled their dispute again. Um, Apple and Corellium had come to an agreement, and then Apple decided that Corellium was up to something they didn't like, and so they unagreed to their agreement. Well, we now have a new settlement. All the terms are unknown, so all we know is that Apple and Corellium have stopped fighting. To jog your memory, Corellium are a cybersecurity company, and they sell security researchers virtualized versions of the iPhone software, so iOS basically, to allow them to test exploits and so forth on iOS because it's actually very hard to break into an iPhone. So if you're going to play around with these things, you sort of need to pretend iPhone, a virtualized iPhone. And Apple considered that to be a breach of their copyright. Various judges were like, yeah, it might be fair use. And it all got a bit hairy. And they, okay, they've come to a settlement. So we don't really know what's happening. Um, Apple have also settled a uh, lawsuit, a class action lawsuit, uh, about family sharing in the United States, and the specific claim that they have settled, and by the way, in this case, we know they have settled by creating a $25 million fund. So the specific claim they have settled is that Apple misrepresented to users their ability to use family sharing to share subscription to certain apps with other members of their family sharing groups. And as someone who's gotten bitten by this, I entirely agree that Apple did indeed mislead people when they switched from outright purchases to subscriptions, all of a sudden family sharing lost a lot of its appeal because when I paid for apps up front, the whole family got them. And then when I switched to subscription, I would say, oh yeah, this is a cool new weather app. Try it, beloved. And my beloved would try it. And nope, second subscription needed. And I think Apple are now a little bit clearer about how that works, but I haven't really solved the underlying problem that subscriptions are often not shared and they probably should be. Anyway, if you're in the United States and you did indeed end up with subscriptions that you could conceivably have assumed were shareable but were not, you may be entitled to a very, very, very small slice of the $25 million pie. Details linked in show notes at less-talk.ie. Jumping us along to Apple HR and acquisition news. Well, they we have... Another story, really, it's not the story of 2024, it's the story of the pandemic and beyond, really, but Apple 
really doesn't like trade unions and is still no warmer on the concept than they have been all year. In the United Kingdom, they are refusing to recognise the Southampton store's attempt to unionise the staff are going ahead anyway. And in Spain, uh, the staff at the Barcelona Apple Store figure that December 23rd will be a good date for a strike, just to make their crankiness known. Um, we also heard that uh, Steve Hotelling, who is a long-standing Apple employee behind such technologies as Touch ID, uh, he is retiring, so yay for him. Loss for us, I think, but yay for him. And um, much more of a blow to Apple, we have Tang Tan, who is Apple's VP of Product Design, is leaving Apple to rejoin with mentor Johnny Ive in Love From, where they are going to work together with OpenAI on some kind of AI device or devices. Um, Good for him. Big loss for Apple here because VP of product design is basically Johnny Ive's stand-in. And John Gruber made a very interesting observation in his reporting on this story. I'll just quote John. More designers from Ive's team at Apple now work at Love From than remain at Apple. It would appear, I don't think it's Johnny Ive poaching Apple staff. I think it's the team Johnny built, and he really did build up that team and mentor them, are missing their old mentor and are following him. I, I don't think it's a proactive poaching. I think it is, well, it might be. Johnny may also miss his old team that he raised and, you know, raised the wrong way. They weren't kids that he mentored and honed and developed and supported in their careers either way good for love from but the apple design team is really suffering since johnny lost his spark in apple i think just based on various interviews i get the impression that it's not that johnny didn't like tim it's that johnny and steve had an utterly special connection and no one could replace Steve Jobs in the Johnny and Steve relationship. And so it's not a slight on Tim Cook to say that he wasn't, he was no Steve Jobs, because Tim Cook has regularly in interviews been the first to point out that he is no, he is no Steve Jobs because there only was one Steve Jobs. So anyway, I'm rambling on a little, but basically I'm very sad to see ever more of Johnny's team follow him to love from. As an Apple user, I'm sad. You know, I hope all of the, all of the people involved have wonderful careers and that they have a good time over at Love From. Jumping us in very briefly to Apple services and original content highlights, and I do mean briefly. I think there's the briefest one of these sections we've had all year. Apple TV Plus continuing to win awards. This time they came home with five Children's and Family Emmys, which is... Nice to see that as well as doing amazing sci-fi, they're also doing very high quality kids programming, which, I, you know, we could do with more of that in the world. Good quality stuff for kids. Apple News Plus, uh, some new uh, titles signing up. The Athletic has signed up and the wire cutter is on the way. They are, if you're into athletics or electronics, those are two pretty substantial publications to join the fold. And CarPlay 2 is getting a little bit less vapory and a little bit more wearish with 
Porsche and Aston Martin previewing what they're getting up to with next generation Apple CarPlay. And it looks darn good. So I really hope that takes off because the the concept of CarPlay being much more personalized and integrated into the cars, picking on much more of the persona of the car manufacturer is very appealing to me. So I really do hope that succeeds. So that brings us to our main stories. And as I say, I had a bit of trouble trying to figure out which would and wouldn't be our main stories. So I've managed to whittle it down to four. Uh, We have a whole new type of spying on us has been discovered. We had a fantastic cat and mouse game that was the Beeper Mini Saga. All of it come and go within one month. Uh, we then had a pretty dramatic climax to, well, it's not even the full final climax, but it certainly came to a crescendo. Massimo is a name we've talked about many times in recent months because they are very cranky with Apple over blood oxygen monitoring in the Apple Watch. And their dispute with Apple seriously came to a crisis point in, well, frankly, Christmas, like 26th of December, right on Christmas. And then finally, we ended the year by learning about probably the most advanced iPhone hack anyone has yet discovered anywhere. Operation Triangulation. Main story number one. We now know, thanks to some sterling work by United States Senator Ron Wyden, that both Apple and Google had... Well, they are continuing to be forced to hand over push notification metadata to law enforcement, but they had been doing so under a gag order, which meant that they couldn't report it in their transparency reports, but they still had to do it. And when Senator Wyden wrote an open letter to the Department of Justice letting the cat out of the bag, that freed Apple and Google from their gag orders because it was now in the public domain. Both companies immediately said, we will be reporting on this from now on in our transparency reports. And they were able to release their processes for how law enforcement get push notification metadata. And an interesting discrepancy came to light. Apple was requiring less paperwork, not just paperwork, less process than Google was. So Apple just required a law enforcement request, but uh, Google required a court order. So basically Apple was happy with a subpoena, Google required a court order, which meant a judge had to oversee something before Google would hand over push notification metadata. And thankfully, one of the big... The second big advantage to Senator Wyden's open letter, the first being that we now know about it, that this is going to be in transparency reports. The other big advantage is that Apple were able to see what Google was able to get away with and stay within the law, and Apple changed their processes. And now Apple, too, require a judge to approve requests for push notification metadata. If you're curious what push notification metadata is, it is to... It's not... I don't believe it is every single, I don't believe it's the full content of every single push notification because some of those can be encrypted, but it is definitely which apps sent you push notifications at what time. Uh, 
So you can give a particular Apple ID and it will give you the list of all the push notifications. And so just knowing a particular app is running can already be quite meaningful. Uh, but if the apps do not encrypt their push notifications, then much more information could leak out. And one of the things specifically called out in Senator Wyden's letter was the abuse of this system to de-anonymize users of anonymous messaging services like Signal and so forth, and to tie those anonymous identities to specific Apple IDs and hence specific human beings. So I you I mean, even from the other side of the Atlantic, um, where, you know, I know there are 100 senators. I don't know who 90% of them are. Yeah, maybe 80%. Maybe I could name 20 senators if I tried. But I don't think I could name any more than 20 sen- senators if I tried really hard. And I'd probably find out a bunch of them were dead. Um, You know, immediately I'm thinking Senator Kennedy. Only he hasn't been around for quite some time. Anyway, of the senators those foreigners know about, Senator Wyden has come to my attention quite a few times because... His office regularly gets involved in tech-related hearings, and unlike a lot of government, you know, elected representative offices and elected representatives, when Senator Wyden's office contributes to tech stuff, it's usually smart, sane, and sensible. Good, deep, probing questions, pertinent observations, that kind of thing, and so... I was not surprised that it was Senator Wyden's office that was responsible for this new information coming out. But out it is, and wiser we all now are. Main story number two, the Beeper Mini Saga. Quite the saga it was. So very early in December, we got news that an app called Beeper Mini had figured out a way of allowing Android users access to Apple's iMessage infrastructure without the need for the user to hand over their iCloud ID and password and without the need for Beeper Mini to run a virtual Mac to act as a kind of a bridge. So it was actually, they'd reverse engineered the protocols and they allowed Android devices to hook directly into Apple's massive iMessage infrastructure. And, in fact, completely hook in to the point that the the Android user didn't need an Apple ID. They could do that. They could also do that thing the iPhone does, which is tie your cell phone number to iMessages through verification messages. Now, you may notice when you first set up iMessage on an iPhone, it tells you it may incur a fee for some SMS messages, but you never see those SMS messages because the operating system sends the messages, uh, uses that to verify the identity with the server, and it all happens under the hood, so you don't need to worry about it. But that is nonetheless a protocol where you have SMS messages being sent over and back and so on and so forth, and so a very enterprising 16-year-old reverse-engineered those protocols and Beeper Mini took that work and converted it to a commercial product, which they were briefly charging users for. Uh, Beeper claimed that it would be impossible for Apple to lock them out without massively rewriting all of iMessage. And they were very confident that this was just going to keep working. Much of the world was much more sceptical. You can put me in that camp. And it really didn't take long for the whole thing to start breaking. 
And the reason it started to break was that as part of that handshake to get a device set up on the iMessage infrastructure, one of the things that is included in those hidden SMS messages, verification and so forth, is a device ID. And the people at Beeper Mini were simply using device IDs from their Mac servers. And they were registering hundreds and thousands of users onto iMessage from a handful of device IDs. And at no point did they think that Apple might use that spectacular, completely unrealistic overuse of the same device ID for thousands and thousands of cell phone numbers as a way of pulling the plug on Beeper Mini. There was no need to redesign all of iMessage. You just block list any device ID with more than 20 cell phone numbers attached to it. In fact, we we know from work done by Beeper that 20 appeared to be the magic number. So Beeper went down pretty much straight away. Everyone immediately assumed Apple had killed it. And a day or two later, Apple confirmed, yep, we killed it. Because you know what this is? This is a spectacular security issue. We need to protect our users uh, from spam and all sorts of abuse and of course they're dead right because end-to-end encryption requires trust of the ends the ends need to be trustworthy software that has been digitally signed to verify it hasn't been tampered with beeper mini's hackery is not vetted and trusted as an endpoint so if you need if you want a secure messaging service you can't have unverified clients that's just not a runner you also can't have client you know if you want to avoid spam and all sorts of abuses you need you don't really want random devices to be able to register themselves into the network so i was always pretty sure apple were going to push back on this and then of course you have the simple reality that It costs Apple a spectacular amount of money to run the stupendous infrastructure that powers iMessage. Earlier in iMessage's life, Apple would regularly tell us at Keynotes how many billion with a B messages they delivered over the iMessage network. The server workload and bandwidth requirements for operating iMessage are stupendous. I work in IT. I know what servers cost. I know what bandwidth costs. It costs a heck of a lot more than people think. It is millions, if not billions, to run that hardware, to run that infrastructure, to power iMessage. So the notion that a third-party app would hack its way into it and sell access into Apple's infrastructure for a profit, and that Apple would just go, ah, yeah, that's grand is ludicrous. There was no way that Apple were going to stand for it. Of course they weren't. So yeah, Apple started locking it down. This is when Beeper realized that, oh, those those device IDs, ooh, sugar. Problem, problem, problem. So they started to experiment to see how many device IDs they could use for, or how many cell phone numbers they could use per device ID. And they had it sort of figured out, do I get away with about 20? So they started to get a bit more clever about how they use their device IDs. And that got things back on the road for a while, and then it collapsed again. And it's 
yeah, it was never really going to work. Um, so Apple locked it down again, then Beeper Mini found a workaround. The workarounds became ever more silly, where Beeper got it working again to the point that you could use your Apple ID and password and therefore register an email address into iMessage, but you couldn't get your cell phone number into iMessage anymore. And even that eventually got locked down. And then Apple were like, no, no, or sorry, Beeper were like, no, no, it's not dead yet. We just need you to own a Mac. And then you run a little agent on the Mac. And then that'll get you device IDs and stuff. And then you're not going to be getting killed because there's too many device IDs because it's going to be your Mac's device ID getting multiplexed just for you. And then that got killed. And so then they came up with the point where we knew the jig was up. The final workaround, which even Beeper admit, this is it. This is their last throw of the dice, they've said so themselves. They literally used the word cat and mouse game and said they could never win, which is absolutely true. Um, They required, I, honestly, I'm not making this up, they required a jailbroken old iPhone permanently connected to Wi-Fi to run iMessage on Android. So you jailbreak the iPhone, you install the Beeper agent there, and then you can effectively leverage the stuff being done in real time on that agent from your Android device. It would basically periodically re-authenticate you to the iCloud network. If you have an iPhone, why not just use an iPhone? Right, The whole thing, as I say, it became utterly ridiculous. We then also had some grandstanding from the US government about antitrust, which is complete and utter nonsense in my humble opinion. And not actually not my humble opinion, my opinion. And I am by no means alone in that opinion. I think the best expression of my opinions and wh- why I support them are in John Gruber's post called Beep Beep on um, Daring Fireball. But it really does revolve around the fact that there is no antitrust issue. There are lots of very successful cross-platform messaging apps. Lots and lots and lots of them. And iMessage is not a protocol. iMessage is an infrastructure. iMessage is a massive cloud service that costs millions, if not billions, to run each year. No one has a right to just piggyback off that. Especially not for profit. Like, that's ridiculous. So anyway, yeah, I have no sympathy for... Anyone who thinks a beeper mini somehow antitrust, no, it isn't. Go and sign up to Signal, sign up to the, the one from Meta, sign up. Like there's so many of them, so many of them. Telegram, WhatsApp, Instagram, millions, not millions, many. Now let's move along to main story number three. Certainly, financially, the most dramatic story of December 2023. We have been reporting for what feels like years that Massimo is very cranky with Apple because they say Apple stole their blood oxygen monitoring technology. And Massimo have had some successes um, with the US ITO, International Trade Organization, ITO, ITC, Trade Commission, might be the ITC. Yes, the US ITC, apologies, International Trade Commission. And they have won some arguments um the apple are deeply in dispute with them some of the patents involved have actually been invalidated it's all it's a big battle over and back with patents being asserted invalidated appealed import bans being applied for and granted 
So where things stood when we recorded last was that Massimo had won an import ban and that import ban would go into effect on December 26th unless the Biden administration vetoed it. And as we recorded the November episode at the start of December, there was no word of any sort of veto. And I believe what I said in the show notes was that such vetoes are extremely rare and that there probably isn't going to be one. And that's exactly what happened. As the deadline got closer and closer and closer, it became ever more clear that this was actually going to happen. And you know, in the week before, Apple said, yeah, we're going to stop selling these devices in our stores on the 24th. And then the 26th came along and the ban went into effect. And the Biden administration clarified that they would not be vetoing the ban. It would stay in effect as far as they were concerned. Apple let it be known through leaks that they are, think they can fix the problem with the software fix. Massimo think that the only way to actually fix the problem is with a hardware change or to give vast wedges of money to Massimo to license the technology that's currently in the devices. That is going to have to be litigated. Apple have... Apple, pretty much the day or so after the ban came into effect, filed an appeal with the ITC requesting a stay on the ban while Apple's various appeals were considered and while Apple's software fix was validated as to whether or not it would be a fix. Um, The ITC said no. And Apple was forced to stop selling Apple Watch Series 9 and Apple Watch Ultra 2 online and in its stores. And Apple then, a few days after the ban came in, went to the US Circuit Court of Appeals, so not the ITC, but US Circuit Court, uh, claiming that the ban was doing irreparable harm and asking for a stay on the ban while their various appeals had time to make their way through the legal system. And the US Circuit Court of Appeals granted Apple that stay. But it's just a stay. So yes, as I record this, Apple Watch Series 9 and Ultra 2 are back in stores. So the the ban is temporarily halted, but by the 26th of this month, that ban could come back into place, because none of this is resolved yet. Apple are still pursuing a software fix, and they are still hoping that it will be approved as an actual fix, in which case the whole problem evaporates. And in an interview, the CEO of Massimo let it be known that Massimo have already spent $100 million fighting this, and they are in no hurry to stop. And uh, the Apple Insider article linked in the show notes lists some very large patent victories Massimo have won. They have very deep pockets and they are very used to making very large amounts of money by suing people over patents. So stay tuned. I am pretty sure we will be talking about this again a month from now. Moving us into our fourth and final main story Operation Triangulation, described by the cybersecurity industry as the most advanced iPhone hack ever seen. 
I'll give you the highlights. Um, actually, there is a fantastic write-up. The, 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 this is a complicated story. A lot of pieces to it. The single best write-up I have read is, unsurprisingly to me, uh, over on Ars Technica by the wonderful Dan Gooden, who does absolutely sterling work on the security beat. Everything to do with cybersecurity. He writes for a general audience extremely well on complicated topics. So, quoting from Dan Gooden's article, some excerpts. Researchers on Wednesday presented intriguing new findings surrounding an attack that over four years backdoored dozens, if not thousands, of iPhones, many of which belong to employees of Moscow-based security firm Kaspersky. Chief among the discoveries, the unknown attackers were able to achieve an unprecedented level of access by exploiting a vulnerability in an undocumented hardware feature that few, if anyone, outside of Apple and chip suppliers such as Arm Holdings knew of. Skipping ahead a little, the infections were delivered in iMessage text that installed malware through a complex exploit chain without requiring the receiver to take any action. Me jumping back in here, that is a so-called zero-click exploit. The absolute holy grail of iPhone exploits is send a message, successfully hack phone, user required to do nothing. Moving back to quotations, the exploit's sophistication and the feature's obscurity suggest the attackers had advanced technical capabilities. Probably the understatement of the year, back in my voice. Uh, Kaspersky Labs released a lot of detail on this, and I just want to quote one important piece from that Kaspersky report. Our guess is that this unknown hardware feature was most likely intended to be used for debugging or testing purposes by Apple engineers or the factory, or that it was included by mistake. So Kaspersky are not saying that this is some sort of a conspiracy between the US government and Apple or something like that. They are firmly, they are explicitly not saying that. They also say further down in their article that the patterns of behavior in Operation Triangulation don't match any of the typical patterns from any known government agencies that Kaspersky tracks, so they are not assigning blame to anyone yet. They basically say that attribution, as it's called, is something they are not able to do at the moment, which is significant. So if you hear people saying who it is, they're speculating at best. From the point of view of regular users, couple of really key points here. This is extremely sophisticated stuff. And what it actually proves is how difficult hacking an iPhone is. It took four zero-day exploits chained together to bypass the iPhone's security. And even then, with all those four exploits, a quick reboot of the phone purged the malware. Because Secure Boot means that we the phone won't boot if it's been tampered with. So malware is memory only. And the attackers relied on reinfecting rebooted devices by sending another booby-trapped iMessages message. Again, 
four zero days were needed to get this to happen. That means this was an extremely expensive undertaking. So whoever did this had stupendous amounts of resources at their disposal. Me speculating now, that sounds like nation state or nation states plural territory. I would not be surprised to hear that the Five Eyes governments worked together on this or that maybe the Americans and the Israelis partnered on this like happened before a few decades ago with attacks in Iran. That would not be unprecedented and it would not surprise me. But this is serious stuff. Apple have also patched all four vulnerabilities. Um... It is really, really, really not clear how that hardware feature got there. It could be entirely innocent. It may not, Apple may not even have known it was there. It could have come along for the ride as part of the IP licensed from ARM. Or it could be a supply chain attack where after Apple's finished the design, Someone else got some extra stuff added to the design before it got as far as the actual factories manufacturing those chips. No, at the moment, no way for us to know exactly where in the process this feature was added and who did and didn't know about it. But Kaspersky make it very clear that the way this feature is implemented, it would be almost impossible to discover the feature. The only reason Kaspersky were ever able to find it was because they got to watch malware use it. So it's a bit like Platform 9 and 3 quarters in in Harry Potter. You're not going to find Platform 9 and 3 quarters, but if you stand there watching people disappear into thin air, you'll know where the door is. And that's kind of what's going on here. So by seeing malware use this feature, Kaspersky were able to understand the feature and discover its existence. But had they not been able to observe malware using it, they would never have found it. And finally, just to circle back in case anyone was panicking here, this went on for years and it only attacked a few hundreds or maybe a few thousand iPhones. That's not an accident. A... A single zero day against iOS is hard to get, very expensive to develop or buy. And the moment Apple find out about it, they patch it, making it completely and utterly unusable. So to have four of them and keep that secret for four years, because as soon as anyone notices, they'll get patched. The only way you can do that is to use them spectacularly judiciously. So that is why we are talking out of all of the millions of iPhones in the world, a teeny, teeny, tiny percentage would have been targeted by this. Because if you use it broadly, the cat will get out of the bag. The details will be noticed and the whole thing will get shut down, completely invalidating your spectacularly large investment in this book. So... There is no need for us regular end users to panic. But this is definitely a very substantial story. Apple responded by closing all four vulnerabilities, which is good. So right now, the iPhone is probably the most secure it's been in four years. But we don't know what we don't know. 
We don't know what Apple doesn't know. We don't know what various three-letter agencies around the world do know. So this may not be the only such hidden hardware feature. We just don't know. Definitely a very important news story to end 2023. Speaking of endings, let us wrap up this show with a few quick stories that made the news in December 2023. Apple have started selling standalone second-generation AirPod Pro charge cases that are USB-C for $99. Apple is piloting a new way for developers to offer discount subscriptions. The idea is if you already subscribe to one app from a developer... That developer now has a mechanism for giving you other subscriptions to other apps of theirs at a reduced price because you already have a subscription with them. So that is potentially quite nice for companies with suites of apps. PETA, of all people, have named Apple their 2023 company of the year basically for switching out leather for their new microfiber thingy they've invented to mixed reviews. I haven't used it myself. I have heard both people scoffing at it and saying it scuffs when you run your fingernails through it and people who like leather products and who say, well, if you did that to leather, it would also be completely utterly destroyed. So when I buy stuff, I don't intentionally try to damage it. And lo and behold, I've had this the Apple, these new materials for a couple of months now and they're lovely. So, I don't know, I don't have one, but mixed. Either way, Peter, very happy with the not-cow-killing version, or nature of it all. So, 2023 Company of the Year. Finally, those of you who drive Teslas and listen to Apple Podcasts can now more easily do both of those things at the same time. The Apple Podcasts, or an Apple Podcast app, has come to Tesla software as part of their Christmas 2023 software update. That brings our first show of 2024 to an end. I have been your host, Bart Bouchard. You can find me at bartb.ie. But before I wrap up the show completely, I do just want to remind you all that there are detailed show notes, and I do mean detailed show notes, at let's-talk.ie. You will find links there to all of the stories that have informed my thinking on December's news. And while you're there, you will notice a heading in the sidebar called Support the Show. And I want to thank absolutely everyone who supported the show in any way in 2023. It was a year of changes. I switched from per show billing to simulated monthly billing. And it's simulated because Patreon haven't gotten around even now to providing a migration mechanism for their early adopters to switch from per creation to per month billing. So I'm simulating it by creating one quote unquote creation each month that is effectively a blog post listing all of my actual creations for the month. So from your point of view, dear supporter, it's monthly billing. I'm just simulating it by making a fake creation whatever right it works uh, the downside is after years of telling you all that if you want to give me five dollars a month pledge two and a half because it'll be exactly two shows a month i basically halved my own income by doing that and then i repeatedly appeal to people to consider you know unhalving their contributions and many 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 of you did and it would be a lie to say that income 
has returned to what it was this time a year ago, because it hasn't. But it's a heck of a lot higher than 50%. It's about 80%. And that is amazing. So you guys rock. Uh, some of you also support the show by making one-off donations on PayPal. That is greatly appreciated. The, the way I mentally think of it is that the Patreon money is a reliable income stream, which I offset against monthly bills to power the servers and the domains and that kind of thing, and software subscriptions, etc. So stuff that happens every month, I try to align it approximately in size with the Patreon contributions, the hope being to break even. And one-off things like, you know, microphones and boom arms and new XLR cables because your boom arm broke your XLR cable. Those kind of things, they come out of the PayPal donations. Um, I've had a few expenses in the last couple of weeks and months, so it's really nice when people click that PayPal button to throw a little bit of money my way. Very much appreciated. Now, I also know that lots of you are in no position to support the show financially, or maybe you think I enjoy the show, but not that much. It's perfectly fine. In order to support the show, you can simply share it with friends. Just tell people about the show, send around the link. That is very helpful because the percentage of people who do support the show financially is pretty constant. So if you increase the pool, then you will increase the amount of income I get because more people means that the same percentage of a bigger pool means more income each month. It's, you know, the law of numbers. It's great. Anyway, I'm beginning to ramble on here. Let me just say, I hope you all had a wonderful holiday season. I wish you all the very best for 2024. I thank you all for your support throughout 2023. And I look forward to continuing to come to you each month and hopefully continuing to earn your support throughout 2024 I've been your host Bart Bouchatz you can find me at bartb.ie until next time happy computing oh wait 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 wait! I'm back I'm back I knew I'd forget something Uh, one of the big changes for the start of the year is that I have finally stopped procrastinating took quite some time and I have finally set up a part of creations identity on Mastodon Specifically, you will find these podcasts at at ltpod at social.bartificer.ie and you will find semi-professional me as opposed to clown me. Clown me is on a different, on a regular Mastodon server. I'm not going to tell you which, because that's my personal account. But podcaster me, grown-up me, is also available on Mastodon as Bart at social.bartificer.ie that is linked um, on letsustalk.ie okay now I really am off I really am going to wish you all happy computing <laughs>